Well, I've got a couple of things I want to uh, just kind of clear out of the bucket uh, here at the beginning. One, you know, just just apologies. You know, I've got uh, I've got a recording for the the podcast reboot, the Drunker and Retireder. You should look that up, Drunker and Retireder. That Fireside. FM. Check that out too. We're back from our vacation. We were in the southwest of France at a large house in Basque Country. With a, uh, uh, it was great. A lot of fun beaches down there. It'd be wonderful to be there in uh, in summer. There's a lot, a lot to enjoy down there, and uh, they have it's es- Esperia. I forget how you say the name of the pepper. It's probably in French, but there's like a red pepper. You know how you can get those Southwest peppers, uh, Brandon, like mm-hmm. on a string that you yes, can hang in your kitchen, and you're always like, honestly, uh, I'm not tasty meats, Paul, so I don't know what the fuck to do with this. Yep. So yep. it just that, looks that cool. I, I can relate to that yeah. too. Yes. Yeah. And uh, uh, so we got one of those. They're the good peppers. You can also buy them granulated so you can shake them on. Now, what I want to say, this is advice I've been giving people. Let me adjust my microphone so they can make sure to hear it. Is uh, now you're going to you probably later in life, you're going to have kids. You're going to you're going to go on vacations when it's not going to be summer. But the kids like to swim in a pool. You might live not have a pool. Yep. So one of the main attractions when you go to a house pool. is you want to get a pool that's heated. Yep. Because you got to be able to swim in it. Pool pool that's too cold to be in is not useful. In fact, uh, it's actually a negative because people like talk about they can't use the pool. So it's just like, yeah, 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 yeah. but go and on. People yep. might, people might fall in whatever. So yeah. mm-hmm. now, you know, I picked this place cause it had a heated pool. Now we, we have good success with that, but what I've finally learned and, and my wife Kim has learned this is, is I've learned a compounding thing here. One, you always have to ask them ahead of time, make sure the pool is turned on. Yep just you know like is it plugged in you got to follow that and and usually they you know sometimes they say yes sometimes they say no and then they'll turn it on for you ahead of time because you want to have that first day but what i learned on this trip is when they say yes you should say you mind double checking that right <laughs> like <laughs> could could you could you just take a picture or a video of it turned on and just you know i'm i mean not not that crazy but because it, 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 I'm not sure that it was actually turned on. And so I, and you know me, I always feel bad being the person like, I know you said that, uh, that this was turned on, but could you go check? And, and to, and, and it's, it's fine, right? Like, I understand if you're, if you're renting out a house, you know, and, and someone's coming to stay at it in October in, in Europe, you need to make them understand that it's going to be cold, right? It's cold outside. The pool might be cold, whatever. You know, you can make all these, you know, say all that stuff. That's cool. That's cool. But it's like, just go check, right? Yeah. And then, the, and then, you know, sure enough, as you can imagine, what happened is they were like, oh, we, I don't know if, you know, they, if they said we should or we need to, but they said we've turned it up more, which is oh, a good, okay. mm-hmm. precise phrasing. Also, you know, it's not, not uh, unlike, unlike in the Netherlands, the, the French are not like, you know, fluent and English. Totally cool. No problem there. Right. So it's a little bit hard, a little language barrier there. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. But they, uh, and, and then sure enough, the next day the pool was uh, much warmer, still cold, but it not, not cold. It was, we understand it's October. It's not going to be, you know, perfect Florida, right. mm-hmm. Florida beach in July, but uh, there you go. So that's what you got to do. Not only ask if it's turned on, you should really be like, could you double check? Cause 70% of the time, the pool is not actually turned on. <laughs> now, now my question though, uh, is just, was it warm enough where like the adults did the swimming or was it, cause I think there's like different, you know, variations of a pool. It's like, like, uh, I don't know, small children, <clears throat> excuse me, small children 
seem to be like you probably don't even need to turn on the heat, right? They just like well, I would say not small children. Mm-hmm. I'd say like ten year olds. A ten year old is like, yep, water's yeah. fine. Like I, I mean, it's like, like as they break the ice to get in it, they're like, it's fine. It's you should get in, Dad. Right there, there's that level, and then there's kind of what I would call, at least in my house, it's sort of like where I will get in, but my wife will not. Like I'm, I'm my threshold's a little bit, and also too, yeah. there's sort of like. Hey, someone needs to get in there and, you know, and play around and like have some activity with the children. And then finally there's, it's like almost like a bathtub. That's where my wife likes it. And then she's like, Oh, oh I can get in now. She's like, it's like, you know, 85, 90 degree. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, house. it's yes. like barely even refreshing. So, so like, what shampoo. level, like was everyone in the pool at one time? That's what I want. Well, to okay. Know. Okay. So the first day was your, uh, you know, 10 year old jumping into, uh, into like ice. Mm-hmm. It was that, you know, like, and, and uh, my daughter was in there for a while, and it was a little too cold. But then my son, Cormac, he was like, oh, it's very cold, and then stayed in for an hour. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so. yes, right. Mm-hmm. So that's like, <laughs> and, all, like if you were doing uh, recruiting Navy SEALs, 10-year-old, yes. the 10-year-old yeah. uh, age group can swim in any amount of cold water. But go on. You know, you know that might be the ideal age for uh, military recruitment. Very, The mind is very pliable. You're almost at probably near... I don't, I don't know if at 10 years old, your body can retain physical, uh, like fitness, right? Like right. maybe, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's not mentally ideal. they're in the right immoral. place mentally. They're probably not in the right place physically, but you're right. Yeah. You're approaching that, but yes, they, they have okay. the pain so, tolerance, uh, of coldness is very high at that age. Yeah. Obviously child soldier is not a good idea. That's, uh, not, not cool, <laughs> but, uh, as far as unheated swimming pools in October in Europe, perfect. And then the next day, the next day, it was not quite, a, it was not at bathtub level. Kim never got into it because she didn't even test it out, but it was fine for me. It was at Barton Springs level. Okay. Right? Like, all right. So refreshing. And, we'll call it like a strong, yeah, yeah, crisp, yeah, refreshing. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. Well, good. Well, that's, uh, I, 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 I feel, I feel like if I hadn't grown up with Barton Springs and learned how to conquer Barton Springs, I would not have gotten into the pool. But I know that what you need to do is just dive in and then just give yourself a few minutes of like, I can't breathe. And and then your body will take care of it. And then I think your it's problem- amazing how few like how often adults in this broad statement like just they all know that, but no one like I agree with you. If hey you're doing it, just jump and get it over with, right? Like yeah. yeah. But like I I'm amazed. I see so many different adults like do the painful like one foot in, two foot oh, in, you know, no. and it's just you like takes thirty you minutes. Can't. It's like. You know, you know the answer here. Just, just stop. Just jump in. You got over. You got to, you got to do what all of us hair suit people with band aids do is you just rip it off. You just like <laughs> this. This is gonna hurt. Let's just do it. Just but yeah, and then, and then, and then, but then you unfortunately have the opposite issue with Barton Springs. Well, not the opposite, but like in in a situation like this, what you learn is that any part of your body that is not in the water is cold. Well, yeah, and then and then once you're in, we where's that? You know, in July in Texas at Barton Springs, that's not a problem that so uh anyway all right so the lesson of the the moral of the story is here always always find a heated pool yeah exactly now i had a third thing to go over but i've totally forgotten what it was this episode is brought to you by cbt nuggets are you looking to build your it skills do you want to learn more about it security cloud computing or networking then it's time to visit cbt nuggets they offer over 350 courses and over 2000 virtual labs They have courses available on everything, including AWS, Linux, VMware, and even Salesforce. Best of all, it's available online so you can learn what you want, when you want. 
CBT Nuggets adds over 40 hours of new training each week, so there's always something new to learn. They also offer accountability coaching, allowing you to speak with a real person who can help you create a personalized learning plan, set goals, and check in to make sure you stay on track. To get started, visit cbtnuggets.com sdt. That's cbtnuggets.com slash sdt. There you can sign up for the seven-day free trial, which gets you full access to all their courses. You know, I look through there, and I'm always wanting to learn Python more. And there's a lot of courses there where you can kind of ramp up into it and uh, even do some advanced networking things with Python. Other topics like that, I may go check that out when I'm done recording this. Anyhow, you can start learning today by going to cbtnuggets.com sdt. And of course, we thank them for sponsoring our show. Well, I haven't had a chance to read in detail about all the announcements from uh, our longtime supporters and friends, Datadog, but they had a conference and I think they've gone full GitLabs. I was, <laughs> I was scrolling through their blog posts and I was like, wow, they really just do it all. And they're just documenting every single little thing that they do here. Now, I didn't go check to see how many pillars they have in their Parthenon, but I think based on just the announcements in their blog posts, they got a lot of stuff. They got, you know, on all ends here, they got some uh, uh, trend, you know, I don't know if they call it synthetic transaction monitoring anymore, but they've got some tracing in there. It looks like you could you could a priori and a posteriori like build in your tracing. They've even got some funnel analysis for your uh, your conversions to see what Johnny Lee Jen's up to. All sorts of things in there, and and I think um, you know my first thought was I remember seeing them originally back at uh, some DevOps days way back when, and thinking like, oh, that's a funny little company. Right. Like with their, their dog, like what company ever puts the word dog into their, uh, <laughs> into their company name, but man, they, they sure have, uh, they got a lot going on over there, uh, Brandon. And it looks Do like there's even I, I, like high, highly specialized things like, you know, managing databases and, you know, kind of, yeah, I mean, everyone manages databases, but like, there's a lot of, uh, they, they've been working on a lot. They must I mean, should we say, I kind of think of like, have they gone, um, I don't know who the beginning company this, so this may be wrong, but I'm going to go like, they've gone like the full Tivoli, right? Like, because I yes. feel like Tivoli was the ones that's kind of started off all the systems management. I don't know. There's some patrol people at BMC, some people over in Australia started patrol. And I don't know, there's probably some stuff even before mainframe, but, but where I'm coming from is like the idea of like, oh, we're just going to have this thing that monitors stuff. And then over time, right? You just add more and more, like used to be called agents and, you know, monitors, whatever you want to call them. Right. So I yeah. feel like this is the, the, and of course, many companies, you know, we've worked at some Cote, right? Like this is where you always end up, right? This is the trajectory you're going on. Right. So they added, for example, one of the announcements was network device monitoring. It's like, ah, you can see where they got to that, like pretty late in the game, but they're like, yep, we need, you know, that's your old friend SNMP. That was one of the things that was in the announcements. And I was like, Oh wow, this is like the real maturing. This is like the full on Tivoli. Like we now have almost everything you could possibly monitor. So, um, so I think it's just fascinating to watch these systems get, and obviously Datadog is in my books reigning number one, right there, you know, they've done it. They've sort of taken over the systems management world. So this is sort of them asserting, if you will, this kind of going through all these things. It's like, yeah, we're number one. And now everyone's coming from Datadoc, right? Whereas at one point, Tivoli was number one. Everyone came for them. And then we went through many different iterations of people trying to displace them. But Datadog is, has clearly won. So I just, you know, kudos to them. There's definitely a, a large bulk of functionality that they got going on there. The, well, uh, I was... 
I was thinking over the vacation and recently, you know, I've, I've been, I've been eating so much, you know, you know, one, you, you stop weighing yourself because you don't, you don't like the result. And then two, you know, in order to weigh yourself, you think like, hey, it would be inconvenient because it's so hard to get these pants off and back on that there's probably, uh, you know, and so you, yeah, you got, you need some new pants for, for all the stuff that is in here. There's even, there's even iOS widgets that, that you can add here so you can monitor, uh, your things, which, you know, I always like, do, are there actual assisted men's who are like, you know, monitoring their stuff from their phones like that? That seems like, I mean, I, I guess that seems like the dream, right? That you're, uh, you're on the beach or, uh, you're skiing in a well-heated pool and you're just kind of <laughs> glancing over at your iPad at the widgets that are on there. See what you need to do. That's, uh, I guess, I guess people do that. Yeah. Right. Well, I think there's always a lot of stuff. I mean, in the end, right. When you sort of work up the food chain of all the systems management features, eventually you kind of get to all of this. You're like, well, we just got to have everything. And I think that's kind of where they're, they're at now. The, the part that caught my attention is, you know, we've sort of uh, inadvertently been having a little, uh, you know, as I like to say, it's like, well, what's the most important feature of uh, any, any platform in an enterprise, but systems management in general is export data. And now, because Datadog has had so much success, pretty much everyone's coming for him now, right? They got all, all everyone has uh, created a slide about how they're going to be the next Datadog, right, in their uh, pitch decks. And so what they've all done, though, is they've created, they say, well, we're going to do this new thing called observability, right? So that is, seems to be the way everyone is going to try to compete with it. So Datadog has uh, introduced observability pipelines, which I'm just calling, it's the mother of all export data, right? That's really all it is. It's basically, we can take the data from anywhere and uh, do, in fact, you know, we'll, maybe we'll get Matt Ray's take on this next week. It's sort of like, do some type of transform on it, you know, do some type of normalization, and then we'll uh, pipe that data to wherever you want it to go, to any data sync you want. So it can be anywhere. And so, uh, one, we always cover the most important things uh, here at Software Defined Talk. One, I want to say, this slide that they used, uh, and I'll put it in the show notes, uh, it may have the most purple and the most purple gradients ever used on one slide. It's just, as someone po posted in the chat, it's just almost a sea of purple. So I like their commitment to the brand. It's like, even if you can barely read it, everything was purple. At no point where they're like, well, we could go with a contrasting color. Nope, just another purple gradient. So that, of course, we love. But then <clears throat> looking at it, it's, it's interesting because I think this is sort of the the ultimate response to observability is just like, hey, we can we can create an observability pipeline, which is essentially just like pipe all the data that you want to, in any format you want to wherever you want, right? So you can kind of see their response. It's like, hey, we do that too. We have all of that stuff. Now, the question I have here is a little bit on the analysis. I think they're sort of leaving some of the analysis to other tools, but it seems like a nice move by them. It's sort of like, we want to make sure that we're collecting all the data and that we can put it where you want. Because that's, I think, where the money is. The money is in the data collection, although it's a little bit boring. But that's really what you want. Because if you don't have the data, then some of that comes in with another tool. It's like, well, you see, we have this great reporting. But they usually leave it to the, the customer to figure out, well, you have to just export all your data into this. And it's like, that could be a, a high hurdle. But I think in this case, Datadog has fixed it. So that's what I'm watching. It's like, okay, observability is, is kind of the way they're being attacked. And I think this is a nice response by them. Yeah, just just to uh, yeah, that that that's that seems like a good take. It's because it seems like, as always, the problems in systems management are, as you were saying, getting the info, getting the data, and then uh, and the other one is knowing like uh, how to respond to it, like 
which that's a deep well. And then there's also uh, storing it, which is a problem. And then you got retrieving it. And then, of course, you're going to need iOS widgets. So those are <laughs> those are your five classic problems uh, to deal with. And I guess, you know, then 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 uh, it is like if you are the central store for things, you need a way of, uh, as, as you like to say, exporting the data and uh, transforming it as well so that it's uh, easy to integrate with everything else. Because it's one thing to like, uh, you know, as as the the ability to download all of your photos from Flickr shows, if you've ever tried to do that. It's one thing to like be able to get the raw bits, but it's another thing to actually be able to do anything with it. Right. And, and like, you know, so Flickr will download these images that have none of the metadata written into the image and they all have the same date, created date and, and whatever date. But of course, being programmers, they were like, you know, we just have a JSON file that has the same name of the image that has all the metadata in it. Uh, so have fun with that. Right. And like, so it's, it's, I mean, that's, that's a very consumer example, but like it's, if, if the data is exported in a fashion that makes it instantly usable by these other tools, then that's uh, much well, better. And it than may, just, uh, this is what I think makes it so sticky by data dog. I mean, why I think it's such a good move is like, if you are the origination of collecting all the data, so they got to have you. This is kind of back to the agents. Why Tivoli and other things always existed even well beyond maybe their prime was just like, hey, we're it, it's getting all this data. So that makes you really, really sticky. And then two, you know, in this case, it's the observability pipelines, but I'm just going to call it like, you know, really, really configurable uh, export data. It's like every one of every time someone writes, you know, kind of a workflow to get data, transform data and then put it somewhere. Right. You're. Your, if you will, your switching cost goes up exponentially, right? Because it's just one of these things like you have to have it forever, right? No one will ever want to get rid of it. So I think it's just, it's a good way to really embed yourself into and kind of defend against everybody that's going to come along, whether it's observability or something that's the next thing um, in systems management. I'm sure, like, I'm sure it's already emerging, but you know, some new thing is like, well, actually, you don't want to just collect the data and do observability. You want to do this other thing. Right. And then someone's going to say that. And then, and then but you're going to say, well, that's fine. Well, we have all the data. We can just pipe that there. So I think it's a really, you know, it's a really defensible way, I guess, to keep your business, you know, growing. So I, that's that's why I'm impressed. But I did want to ask you the other thing is because um, you kind of alluded to it and it's like, you know, I'm, I'm reading this book that's kind of interesting. It's called uh, The Success <laughs> Equation. Bad name, but it's basically oh. un- untangling skill and luck. And so. You know, sort of, I swear off these business books. It's not so much a business book, but this one sort of goes, it's kind of like building on the halo effect a little bit and sort of like, well, what, you know, how much are of, like, what determines luck, right? Like, what are the things and how do you measure it? And I, and it's mm. got me thinking a lot about Datadog, about much of this functionality has existed in other places. So we go back, I mean, I was just close to this space whenever this thing started five, seven years ago, whatever. And there were a bunch of people, I've worked at some and, that we're sort of like all kind of competing for it. And so, you know, to your thing about the dog, it's like, you know, the features I think were always well known, but I was like, I don't know, maybe it is like the purple, the brand, the dog. And one of the things they tell you about in this book is just, you know, like a slight advantage. So if we were launching something new, any kind of product, like even like a, a song, right? Even if we have some slight advantage, like a group of people that are maybe just slightly more interested in our song versus someone else, right? Is that it can have this compounding effect. And so that's mm. got me thinking about like, I don't know, maybe, you know, Datadog sort of, you know, hit the SaaS based systems management at the right time. Right. They seemed, I don't know what, how they did it exactly, but they seem to get 
some good mind share very quickly with like a, a very influential crowd. And then I do think something about the brand, like something about, I don't know if it's playfulness or uh, just something else just was kind of different. And I think like, you know, if you will, if you just say like at the very beginning of this race, maybe that was a tiny advantage, but now you look at all the companies that either have gone out of business or are worth significantly less. Like they've now built it into like, whatever this $30 billion behemoth. And I, and I don't really think it, you know, as much as I like to, you know, you always want to think the, it's about the products. The product itself is good, but it's not, you know, when I look at everything else, it's not that different. So, mm. so I don't know. I just always back to like, you know, to your thing about the dog, like maybe it really was the dog. Maybe that had like more of an effect on this than like, if you will, end user monitoring. Yeah. 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 Well, well, first of all, I didn't know you sworn off business books. So that's the discussion we should have at some other time. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think the summary is just like, yeah, there's a whole bunch of, they're not random things, but there's just a whole bunch of unexpected, unplanned for things that operate over 10 years that result in success. <laughs> right. Like, like, and, and the, the joke being like, ah, oh, yes, the overnight success that just took 10 years. Right. Like, but I, I, and un- unfortunately, I don't really know, uh, data dog that well, as far as their feature set, let alone competitively. Like I might, I might've back when I was an analyst, but I think to generalize in the systems management space, I mean, to reprise like, you know, one of my, my favorite, maybe even our theories of just like systems management tools just expire. Like, and, and I think that's largely a function of the business that runs them and the business that runs them. They just find, I think I, I, this is all theory at some point when it's, when a systems management business is successful, there are diminishing returns for updating and adding new functionality for new types of infrastructure and applications and things like that. Right. It's sort of like if you, if you were the, the big incumbent from whatever the last period was, and let's say the metaverse actually becomes a real thing. And then, you know, you're like, I don't know, that's not going to be real. People still have to monitor windows machines. And like, you don't, you don't put in, at the right time, the effort into whatever the systems management for the metaverse is, right? Like we can monitor 360 degrees of users perception, not just 80 or whatever. Uh, and so like, eventually that just, you know, it's, it's like, it's like negative compound interest to use a weird metaphor. Like eventually it just catches up with you and you just like, your reputation is eroded because you're the old weird thing. And the only way, you know, I'm sure you, maybe have done some of these demos or been part of them. But the only way that when these older com- older systems management companies seem to be doing anything new is they get a really good sales engineer who just like knows how to cobble together some crazy ass yep. thing yep. that makes it look like something has happened <laughs> in, in the portfolio. Um, and, and like, I think in this space that in systems management, that happens a lot just because there's no good business behind it, right? And then so what that does is the brand, even if you manage to catch up and rename yourself, like the brand that you have, people just assume you don't, it doesn't do good. It doesn't work. And then I think the other thing that has happened recently, which I guess happens, it's happened in a different way, but it happens in all the areas of systems management is the the sysadmins or the operations people 
there becomes a new type of operations people that aren't like the previous existing type, right? So I think, you know, there used to be mainframe admins, then Unix admins, then there were Windows admins, then somewhere in there was like netware, internet-y kind of admins, and then there became VM admins, and then then running parallel to that was like Linux admins. And now, not that there's a profusion of them, because, you know, as we covered at some point, there's Gartner estimates there's only like 5 to 10% of enterprise applications run on Kubernetes, right? So it's very small. But now you have this new type of admin kind of sort of emerging that like runs whatever mobile app backends there are, like whatever cloud stuff. Yeah, and I think you did throw right. SRE in here at some point, right? Like SRE sort yeah, of emerges. Yeah, yeah. Right. And then I think, I think as that emerges, I think that goes hand in hand with observability, right? And that right, goes right. hand in so, hand with Kubernetes, right? All of that is so, very so, related. So this is the other thing that you have coming in. Boy, we, we need a slide. With, we could use what the, uh, the PowerPoint. Use, if, as long as we can smart use, art with the arrows. I just prefer that if we can use a color other than just uh, purple. I, wanna, yeah. I, I think no, we have the I, whole yeah. spectrum to work with. Go on. I don't, I don't know if these would be forces or pillars or, right. or what we're driving at here, what, what kind of flywheel we're creating, but the construction of a flywheel. But then what happens is you have all these things together and you've got a new group of people who don't go to the old brand because they assume it doesn't work, even, mm -hmm. if, even if. Or maybe even been if, exposed to it and like been frustrated yeah. by the tool. Go on. Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. I, I was going to say, even if, let's say you were one of these old companies and you you got you went private so you could focus on like adding in the technology you did some tuck-in acquisitions you could be great technologically wise but people just don't trust that that you do anything good so you've got that effect and then you know back in the negative thing like you probably as the older company haven't invested in this and then you got the new company that has a brand and they're also um by virtue whether they're they're like newly ipo'd or they haven't ipo'd yet they can just like they have the flexibility to like do a bunch of wacky new things, like put iOS widgets in there, right? Yep. Like they don't have to like justify things in the same amount of nauseating detail that you do in a large company, right? Where, you know, you've got a four months ahead of your, uh, your cal you know, your FY 2023 financial planning for allocating funding to a new project. You just like got to figure out what the new templates are that corporate finance has sent out. And, and you're like, ah, I don't have that Excel macro to generate that, <laughs> that, those Harvey balls. Right. And so you're spending, you're spending all your time doing that instead of learning about that, like in the new iOS version, there's going to be a widget that you can add on, on iPhones. Right. So, I mean, all that stuff comes together in this space to be like, man, it's really, really hard if you're an older successful company. I mean, this is a different version of like disruptions stuff kind of. But I think on the other hand, it also means that like, you got to like, uh, uh, you're almost like playing like strategic parkour of just like, if you're in a data dog or other situation where you're just like constantly jumping around and trying to figure things out. And you've got to like have a very long-term run at skipping around and just chasing after everything much like a dog would. Uh, and until like eventually you, uh, you know, you bite onto the car and you got to figure out what to do. Try really trying to stick with this dog <laughs> metaphor there. But <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, I think, I think the other thing that, you know, once to your point, like once you see a, uh, a, a feature, a an announcement dump like this, you're like, oh, okay, good. They, they, the dog has figured out how to drive the car now. Today's show is sponsored by StrongDM. Are you still using SSH keys, RDP logins, and database credentials? Well, it's time to access your infrastructure like it's no longer 1999. 
StrongDM is the only modern infrastructure access platform. It creates a seamless, secure, and observable air gap between your staff and the critical infrastructure that powers your company. With StrongDM, you can instantly revoke access to every database, Kubernetes cluster, or server with just a click. Automatically log every query, SSH, and kubectl command to know who did what, when, and where across your stack. Eliminate credentials from end-user workflows to deploy access that's zero trust and least privileged by default. Trusted by your peers at Peloton, SoFi, Yext, and Chime, StrongDM is the only way to deploy secure access controls in a way folks love to use. But who believes in ad? Check out StrongDM for yourself with a no BS demo. Sign up at strongdm.com slash SDT. That's strongdm.com slash SDT. And of course, we thank StrongDM for sponsoring our show. Speaking of business books, I've been thinking recently it'd be fun. I mean, obviously, it'd be fun to take some kind of sabbatical. I think sabbatical, you're not supposed to work. But, you know, in going over the, uh, you know, you mentioned whatever, whatever that, what was the name of that book? Uh, okay, I just, I've, I already moved the title off. I'll put it in the show notes. Success, something, success factors, I think is what it is. Success factors, yes. So you mentioned that book and I, and, you know, I, it would be, I've been thinking recently, I was talking with someone about this. I have no idea how Microsoft turned itself around, right? And how, how now it is sort of like, in, in our realm at least, I don't know how, how like, I mean, I guess my kids play Minecraft, so Microsoft's killing it in their eyes and people must like Xbox. I have no, I don't know what the, in the consumer world, but in, in, in our infrastructure space, they're like one of the, uh, I mean, they're consistently ranked above Google, <laughs> right so like there's that and uh that's a that's uh, i have no idea what happened at microsoft internally and i was talking with someone the other day and they're like i think i wonder the same thing all the time and i have no idea so that would be like i would enjoy that case study going way below well we came in and we decided that a renewed focus on customers and discovering and blah 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 it's sort of like you know anytime people go over their high level vision it's like well, the key to our success of turning this around is we decided to start using tools that worked. And it's like, yes, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Good, good to know. But really, I mean, there must have been a lot more going on to change how that happened. So that would be, you know, I'm always interested in these more detailed case studies of, uh, of not even success, but like getting out of a tight spot like that. That's what's always because that mixes together our two halo thing, our, our halo problems, right? Is like start with failure, right? right? Like, don't tell me how someone was became someone was birthed as a success. Tell me how someone was an utter failure and then got themselves out of that jam, right? Like, and, and then I think as we were just talking, like Datadog would be interesting to profile. Like, what how did what what happened here? Like, not that they started with failure, but it'd be another good case of like a long running like very competitive area, like we were just thinking about. And then we need a third case to write about. But that would be, uh, uh, I don't know, that, I, I, that would be a fun little book to write or, or, or a study, maybe a 90-page thing. You got 30 pages on each. Just I like it. Keep it short and together. quick. Yeah, like it. Uh-huh. Now, speaking of keeping it short and quick, it looks like the people who want to do the opposite of that, I only read this shallowly. But it looks like the old Sequoia Fund, one of the biggest VCs, has converted itself to a mutual fund. Is that <laughs> like I, I read a long blog post and it basically said I I had no idea where they were going with this because usually in the tech world when you talk when people talk about a decade not being good, 
they mean that it's it's uh too long and they would like a shorter window but the, the i think what they announced is that no longer is the is the sequoia going to be bound by a 10-year investment horizon and instead they're going to have an unlimited year investment horizon could be 20 years could be 50 doesn't matter like they're more into the long-term investment and they're even going to hold after ipos they'll hold uh, uh stocks if that makes sense and solid case made with square that like now they're worth like however much money and i was reading that i was like ah now i understand why twitter is so messed up because the ceo <laughs> has this whole other company that is He's like head job. Over, his side hustle is a whole nother job yeah yeah like t- twitter is just the ceo's side hustle like this other <laughs> this other company is actually like the cash cow and the money maker and like yeah, it's they probably both have similar the same magnitude of impact in their respective industries. But anyways, but it does seem like I mean, I, I'm I'm no Matt Levine, but it seems like what they have described is basically a mixture of like a hedge fund and a mutual fund. I mean, I guess hedge funds have people who buy into hedge funds have like a limited cycle too, right? Like it's a period that no, you're not investing necessarily. in. A hedge fund you can just make up its own rules. I mean, the big deal here, I guess, is that the venture fund as, you know, previously created was always, you know, it lasted 10 years, right? You got your money back and then that's kind of how it was always done. And so this whole announcement, though, I, I do think it's sort of like, it's, it's one of these things like, I think it is, if you work at Sequoia or you're in like, you really are a limited partner, that invest in these people, like it's good to know. But, but to us, I mean, I think for everyone else, it's sort of like it's just sort of like irrelevant. Like it didn't really, like I don't think any of us were really like, oh wow, yeah. The fact that a hedge fund and A sixteen Z did something similar maybe like a year ago. They just basically changed, and what they have to do is it's a big deal to them. They changed their regulatory filing. So basically they are like, Hey, we're not just going to be a venture capital firm anymore. We're not going to play just by those rules. We're now going to play by like the full, you know, hedge fund financial rules, which is fine. But it's, I just think it's interesting to see a VC fund, like make this announcement because like, if you pitch to a VC, right, they're always going to be like, what's defensible? Why is this new? Why is this different? Like, I think everyone else is doing this. And so like when I read this from Sequoia, I think you could apply the same logic. It's like, uh, aren't there a million hedge funds that already do this today? If this was a problem before, didn't I already have a million places I can invest? Like I can always buy stocks on the stock market anytime I want. Like that was never a problem for me as a limited uh, partner. If I want to invest in Square, pre-IPO or after the IPO, I can do it. So, so it's funny for, you know, it's just, and I think it's just instructive to like the people that evaluate companies all the time and ask like the hard questions fall into the exact same trap, right? Like this is a very internal announcement. Like this is very exciting for the people that work at Sequoia. I think for anyone outside Sequoia, it's just like, huh, whatever. It doesn't really matter. And it's not, you know, I, you know, me or you, like, we're no more likely or less likely to say to ourselves, we should go pitch Sequoia, right? Like, if we could have pitched Sequoia, we would have done it before. And in the future, we could do it. But all this talk, right? And it's just like, it isn't really, it doesn't have the founder first. It doesn't have like, like, why does it matter to the external world? It's just a regulatory filing for the people that work at Sequoia. And it's not that exciting. And, but I just think it's funny because that's the kind of feedback I think they would give you about a startup that you're pitching that they, they're not interested in, right? So, so clearly, yeah. I think if you walked in the room, like if I walked in the room at Sequoia and I was like, this is crap, 
there's a million mutual funds, there's a million hedge funds. Why are you making this such a big deal? You need to like actually release something that people want, solve a problem that people actually want, that there's not a million. They would, they would yell at me. They would tell me how I don't get it, how I'm stupid. I don't understand venture capital, but like, it's the same thing going on here. It's exactly the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of related to that. uh, You know, you got a thousand different things that could be go right or go wrong that that we were talking about uh, earlier in, in, in that, like, you know, on, on, on the side of someone talking about something like this, you know, telling you you're crazy and you should get out of the room is uh, they believe they have those thousand things and you just don't appreciate that they have the, uh, the mixture of it. But yeah, it is, you know, it, like what you're saying makes me think it is. Um, it, 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 it's, it's, it's evidence of like the weird, the weird thought leadership sort of nature that VCs have in our world. Right. And, and, you know, the general world as a whole, right. Like in that, like these, these people who invest in tech companies get some kind of outsized godliness to them. (laughs) Right. Like, like, and, and uh, you know, they get on the cover of time magazine and things like that with with the infamous picture of everyone in a Google glasses. Right. It's, and, (laughs) And as as we talk about every now and then, right? Like there's uh maybe that was in Wired instead of Time, but whatever. Like, you know, the the and you see the A16Z people play around with this a lot, right? Is like the the brand, even almost like in the sense of like a big expensive fashion company, right? Like they could they could just say like, you know, blah blah startup, an A16Z company, right? And that just adds all this goodwill and brand right. value to it, which is very like that's a whole other like channel of attention that they have and why maybe there's announcements. And yeah, stuff it's a like strong this. signaling mechanism. Right. And that's, and that's yeah, what's yeah. going on. It's just like, another... and, and versus versus like their actual customer base, which like, you know, is an entirely different, very small group of people, right. The being institutional investors and like, you know, all, you know, people with huge chunks of money to invest in things. And it's almost like, you know, I, I, like those two types of marketing efforts are so incredibly different. And it is, it is, I, I guess like that, kind, this kind of announcement is important for your real customers, but it's sort of like, it just gets picked up by, by other, the, the rest of the tech world, because like we pay. Cause it's Sequoia, right? We should pay attention. But I do think like <laughs> yeah, this, yeah. but this, like to me, like, I guess it's back to the product launch, like a venture capitalist would walk in, and always want to critique a product launch about like what you didn't do and how it was wrong, blah, blah. And it's like, so if you want to see how they do it, this is a product launch. So you can go see, this is what Sequoia did. This was their product launch. And like, to me, it's just massively inside out, right? They miss like all the things like they could have started. Cause they start with like such the long story and the 10 years and like, none of that matters. Like the announcement should be, Hey, we've now made it a Sequoia accessible to anyone that wants to invest with us. Like, for example, they could have created a, uh, a uh, exchange traded, uh, you know, fund, right. And be like, it's out there. If anyone wants to do it and then just say like, our, we've been investing for a long time. Uh, we, and then you could just like in the, almost in the footnote, you'd say we've made some changes. So now that anyone that wants to buy uh, the Sequoia index fund can do it. And you're just going to invest along just like you invest along the, the Harvard endowment, you're going to be there. Right. Or something that's really meaningful to the other person. Or say it's like, hey, Mr. Entre- Mr. or Mrs. Entrepreneur, hey, we've made it easier now than ever for you to raise money because we're, we have 
maximum flexibility to to give you money to do things. We're not constrained by anything. And here's why that's so yeah. great. Here's the thing. And all of that stuff. But instead, the story is like, we used to do it this way and we had a lot of success. And then we overcame the regulatory filing issues. And now we've changed ourselves. And it's just, you know, it's the kind of stuff that gets critiqued all the time on a product launch. It's like you're not talking to your end customers. And I just, so to me, it's just like, yeah, Sequoia, just, and to your point, it's like they're just like everybody else. Like we all fail at this. We all fail at doing an, a, a launch and not quite reaching to the end customers. It's just hard, right? Because it's very hard to do. So, so to your original point, it's like these people are, in, 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 in essence, they're just like all of us. They fall in the same traps all the time. So, so just think about that when you're talking to all of these people and you're pitching your VCs. Like they're just like you. If they were doing the product launch for your company, they'd make a lot of the same mistakes, even some ones that were worse than the ones that you're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess, like the 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 logical conclusion is like you should just do what everyone else does and IPO. <laughs> like that that's like if 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 you want to like you know focus on just like long-term value of of what a company is doing even if it's a vc firm then like the uh i think i think the the way to do that is you you just become a public company yourself and then people just invest in you and you just explain what the business is and how it generates revenue i mean that's that's essentially what brookshire hathaway is right, right. or that's kathy wood is very popularized that with arc right she's like the new um you know high profile hedge fund management, basically you just buy ARC, right? Buy her fund and you're just, you're, inve- you know, she's investing money for you, right? And so, right, so, right, right. I mean, it's the same kind of thing. But again, you know, to them, it's just like, like I think if Kathy Woods here, she's just talking about, I have this great fund. Here's the stock sign. Here's my investment thesis. Don't you want to do it? And then she shows her previous returns, which are all publicly accessible. And you're like, you can decide yes or no. Sequoia, it's like this long written out process about how they got there. It's like, why don't you just start a fund? And like, if it does well, we'll put money into it. If not, we'll move on. Like, make it easy. Uh, all right. Now that we've gotten you and uh, you're, 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 you're seasoned, stewing, sous vide Brandon State here. Let's, let's just briefly touch on what's up. What's going on with Facebook, Brandon? I've, I've dipped in and out of like, what's, there's a bunch of records that people released. Is it, uh, is something going to happen with this? Is uh, like, like, are, are they doing, I, I know they had some embarrassing, like open enrollment video, which is fine. I mean, <laughs> we've all you know, been there. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we all have embarrassing. Actually, I felt that, I felt that in the most videos. relatable moment for, for Facebook. Actually, in all the times I've used Facebook, I've never related more to the Facebook, uh, just Facebook in general than I did to the open enrollment video. I'm like, I've been here. Like people are making yeah. fun of this, but I'm like, I've seen, I've seen worse. And I've seen funnier. Yeah. So, yeah, but yeah. I feel like I was like, oh, I get it. I get it. They're like normal people too. They're getting the same videos. But so, yeah, the so deal have, here. Have you, have you picked through the summaries of what's in this? I mean, to some degree, or? I think, I don't know if we have, I have a ton to add here beyond what's been written and like, you know, every you know, paper ever. I think obviously, you know, very questionable choices around many of their decisions um, around how they sort of manipulate the the feed, if you will. But I do think kind of like picking up on the last topic here is like, you know, it's it's well reported that Facebook is planning or at least considering to rebrand itself in its new name. And I think it's kind of like, it's a similar question about Sequoia, right? It's like, you know, I get why they would want to do it, but like if, you know, rebranding yourself and launching it, I think, it, and I think the idea is that they're going to do it something around like the metaverse, like maybe it'd be called meta or something along that. And it's like, in the end, it's like, why, 
you know, when you do this, and that would be a huge effort for a company like Facebook, much like Alphabet, you know, and Google did that. It's just sort of like, I guess I, I just think to myself, like, I don't think you're really solving any of the problems, but like, maybe if you wanted to speak about it more positively would be, maybe you're just rebranding for your, for your employees, right? Cause like all of us are never going to yeah. stop saying Facebook. We're always just going to say, Oh, we use Facebook. We're never going to like, we never say like alphabet it. Like no one's like go alphabet it. People say Google it. Right. There's just no constant. There's no one thinks alphabet. And I think, so I, I don't know. I guess I was just thinking to myself, like if you ran Facebook and you were in all of these issues and you wanted to like move your company beyond potentially just the Facebook social media, as you know, it, like, would you re- like is renaming it? I mean, I can see why you would do it, but it doesn't seem like at the end of the day, other than maybe reorienting the company internally, it wouldn't have any real public change. Like, no mindset about the company would change. Um, and I think that's just like a to your thing about you know you said systems management companies eventually they just uh, I don't know I think you said they just die. And it's like, and I feel like you know maybe that's just what Facebook is grappling with. It's like Facebook's fortunes are tied to the face to Facebook, like Google's fortune, Alphabet's fortunes are tied to Google, right? And it's like, you can change the names, you can move it around, but the bulk of the revenue and where the, the awareness of the company come from these core value propositions. And it's like, that's just how it is. Like, you may not like that. Even if you are super rich and worth billions of dollars and running the company, you may want to do other stuff, but your fortunes are tied to this core business. So I just think that's kind of, as it goes forward, I, I, I don't, you know, it, I don't know if Zuckerberg, I don't know if they can, can you fight this off to your point? I guess maybe Microsoft did it. Maybe their, their fortunes changed from the operating mm. system to Azure, but that happened, that happened over like a period of 20 years. And so like in like 20 years, is this the moment? Like, will we look back and be like, oh, Facebook remade itself um, and they renamed the company Meta or something like that. Um, so I'm really curious to watch it. And I think this is a hard problem. I don't know if I was running Facebook, it'd be, I'm not sure what I would do. Like, it isn't like, I don't sit here and be yeah. like, oh, I have any good answers. I'm like, you seem like you're in a tough spot. Like you feel, it feels more like a MySpace situation than it feels like a Microsoft situation, but who knows? We'll see what happens. Yeah. And it's even worse than MySpace because as, as you like to remind me when I talk about uh, how much money companies make, like uh, all, all of everything is priced into their stock price. So like any, any changes that Facebook makes for the better probably is not cool for the balance sheet. Right. Like, I mean, I, it seems like a lot, a lot of these tech companies, a lot of their value is in like finding flaws in the current system (laughs) that, that they can go in and exploit. And so it's, everyone else is restricted from doing that stuff and they figure out a way to uh, do that. And then once you go in and regulate what these holes are, it just removes their ability to, uh, to extract value. Like, you know, Uber being the example, like, for whatever year run they had, they just didn't have to deal with like local licensing and taxis and stuff for like taxis. Yep. And then at some point the world was like, oh, right, you're just a taxi service. So <laughs> you got to pay that now. Yeah. Right. And like, that's right. On to the next you know. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow, well, do we have any bureaucracy uh, uh, this week? Just a couple things. One, I want to uh, just call out a shout out to Chris here. I sent him some stickers. He's in uh, Gatorsburg, Maryland, a place I'm very familiar with. So good to see. Some people from the, the Mid-Atlantic representing. Uh, and if you'd like a sticker like Chris, all you have to do is uh, send me your postal address at stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com, and I will send you a sticker anywhere in the world. And also, uh, Jordy. Jordy posted a job in the, in the Slack. So if you want to go uh, find more about that, you can join the Slack. You can go in the Jobs channel. I think this job is for, uh, I think it's cypress.io. 
And so you can learn all about it. So go check out the jobs channel if you're looking for something new to do. Well, there's a, there's a few conferences. I'm actually speaking week after next, November 11th. At, uh, I've never spoken at a, a conference in Russia, but it's called DevOps. <laughs> wow. DevOOPS. Okay. I'll all be right. doing it online, so I won't be traveling there. But uh, I have a, a talk that I have yet to put together yet called uh, Kubernetes is not for developers. It's just, oh. you know, it's a, a click, clickbaity headline. Yeah. But I, I just want to, like, go over my, uh, my constant wondering. As I say in the abstract, it's just a theory. I want to see if it's true or not. And uh, so that's on November 8th. And if you go to DevOops, that's with two O's, uh, .ru, you can see that listed there. There's also the MongoDB local uh, thing coming up num- November 9th in London. And uh, also that conference is uh, January 17th and 20th. And... Uh, if, uh, I, you know, usually what we do now, Brandon, is recommendations. Do you have one for this week? I do. I've got a good one this week. I mean, I think it's not new or anything, but I watched the new Dune. I watched it on HBO Max. All in, loved it. I thought it was fantastic. So highly recommend it. I do think if you're in a place where uh, going to theaters is, uh, you know, appropriate, you know, like is, is nice and safe, probably it is the kind of movie to go see in the theater. And I will... Uh, also say, I guess for myself, it was, um, it's kind of the, uh, the Star Wars sequel we always wanted, or at least I always wanted. So obviously, you know, they're not, they're different books, of course, but, uh, Star Wars, as I understand it was heavily influenced by Dune. And it's like, yeah, this is actually, um, um, I guess for where I am in my life age and, you know, and all the things like that, I, I found it like, oh, this is great. This is exactly the kind of uh, new way to tell this story that I've heard before. So I loved it. I was, I don't know. Mm. Uh, I was someone that has not read the books, tried a couple of times and, and gave up, but I do think now I need to, now I get it. Now I'm like, I see why people love the story so much. And like, it's, uh, it was visually incredible to watch. I think the plot, a lot of people think, you know, it is confusing and stuff like that, but I don't know. You're either someone that likes that or you don't. So I loved it. I'll just give you the other side of it. I watched it once and then my wife was like, ah, oh, there's nothing on. What should we watch? I'm like, oh, yeah, let's watch this new June. And so she watched it for, um, I would say three and a half minutes. And she's like, no, not my movie. Turned it off. And I was, I just couldn't believe it. I was in disbelief. So, uh, you oh. probably know where you fall on that spectrum. Like, are you, uh, you're either in, you're either in on kind of like complicated, you know, dark, um, yeah. a lot of action movie, or you're just like, that's not my thing, but I loved it. I highly recommend it. I don't know. Maybe we'll have to do a full Dune podcast one day, um, uh, where we can just yeah. like, you know, we'll make this a movie podcast. So I don't know. That, Kote, I don't know if you either, you seem like someone that maybe would have read the books and you're, uh, you know, you're like yeah, a liberal yeah, arts yeah. kind of, uh, well-read person. Yeah, so, you know, that, that's, that was from that period in my life in my teens and my twenties where I could just like tear through a book and mm-hmm. I, 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 I would not be present while I was reading. Like I just, I remember reading so many books and as I was reading it, I would be like, I have no idea what's happening. I've been paying attention. Like I, I don't, I don't have that, that nowadays, like I have quite the opposite problem, but it is, uh, I don't know. It was fun. Well, my recommendation, speaking of books now, this is going to be a bit of a, a visual, but you know, I, while I was on vacation, you know, sometimes you, you, uh, browse the internet for fun. And I thought what I need is I need a book that goes over the complete works of Peter Bruegel, the elder. Uh, which you may have confused with uh, Bosch. You know, everyone knows Boschian pictures, but Bruegel's very similar. And so I ordered this. It's hard to hold up. 
it's one of these Tashin books. You can see. Wow. Kote's holding up like something that's like bigger than the Oxford English Dictionary. <laughs> I mean, it's big. It's like half his half his and, torso is this book. I don't know. We'll have to get up. You have to go send book, me a picture, Kote. We'll have to put that in there to give do it justice. This, this, this book delivers because it not only has the paintings, as you can see. My gosh. Like, right? I, I enjoy the paintings, right? But Bruegel actually spent most of his commercial life. Uh, a lot more on etchings and, and illustrations that ran out of Antwerp. So he's got a lot, there's a lot more drawings that he has. And these are ones that you won't see mostly because they're boring as fuck. Just um, wow. Bruegel draws ships. Okay. So for it's, everyone, it's Chuck, check the show Chuck. notes. I'll try to put a picture of like, I, I, you have to see the size of this book. I also think this is a good example of software defined talk. Like um, probably Dune has been recommended on, 400 million podcasts this week and i'm going to go on a limb no one has ever recommended this book cote <laughs> just showed me the uh, complete so, works of Bruegel. so we are really i mean the extremes of uh maybe the most popular popular recommendation has ever been given followed by if this isn't the most obscure i don't know what is i mean you were oh, you, oh. you're into like a new level i've, I've just, I, I, I forgot i forgot just, you know just how you the get fact that like you it's not like you just know about the book you own it that book has to be a hundred dollars i mean that thing is massive yeah yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah and you know how when you get a monitor it's got that cool box with the handle that comes with it uh-huh. this box this Un- book also comes with a box that the has book a that's the book came with a carrying case Un- <laughs> unbelievable that is unbelievable <laughs> All right. Well, look at. Make sure to look at some. I'll put some pictures on Instagram too. Like this. This is going to require more uh, several photos so you can truly see it. So, well, I'm yeah, going to try yeah. it, Kote. I'm going to check that book out. I've I've never never even heard of it. Never even knew that it existed. You got you got to you got to shop around because on Germany Amazon <laughs> it was like 190 euros, okay. but on Bull.com, the Amazon of the Netherlands, it was only 90 euros. Probably. I'm just so. going to go out I was at my, with my son. We got him a book at Barnes and Noble the other day, and it's like I'm pretty sure this is not going to be available there. I'm pretty sure they're not going to have this in stock. That's a special order. Yeah, yeah. See if you, Matt, Matt Ray will just check it out from the li- Austin library <laughs> and, that's, and li- listen to the audio version of it for free. Oh. All right. Well, as always, this has been Software Defined Talk. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 326. And uh, you should join us in the Slack channel. You can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com and click on Slack up there and uh, all sorts of stuff every day going on there. And we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. What? No, no, I was using Ethernet before. It was just my whole my whole home internet. <laughs> I okay. had to... I had to go. I had to go reboot the internet and the router, and then it was being fishy. Maybe That's they fun. were they were they were uh, they were chopping down a, a, a trunk and putting in a new trunk on the backhaul. That's man. That's like the most liberal arts of liberal arts thing I've ever seen. I mean, you, you've gone the full Dutch at this point. I'm like, wow. Like you're <laughs> here. I am watching like American football in Dune, and you're like, have you seen this book? That's t- <laughs> no, no, I have not seen that. I've not, not seen uh, that at all. So, even, uh, even even better, I've recommended this a couple of times, but there's a book that's kind of a memoir of this guy who wants to want to go see all the Bruegel p- paintings, and I've listened to it twice now. So that's, uh, you know, that's wow. anyhow. You are, you are the epitome of cultured. <laughs>